Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In week 10 of our James Faith in Action series, Pastor Brittany taught from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, how we can identify false wisdom, find true wisdom, and apply it to our lives. Okay, we're going to get started. If you have a paper Bible with you and you want to read along with us, we're going to ask that you turn to the book of James. If you don't know where that is, you can either turn all the way to the front of your Bible and find a magical thing called the Table of Contents, Or you can turn all the way back in your Bible and go a few books in and find it towards the end, the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, We've been doing a series um, on the book of James called Faith in Action. And uh, what James is doing in his letter to this church is he is trying to encourage them to take the gospel, take the good news of Jesus, take the good news of God coming to earth and, and, and rescuing mankind. He's trying to get them to take what they've learned uh, and apply it to their lives. How is our faith going to change the way that we live? How do we take our faith and put it into action? Um, and what, we, what we've been learning and some of the conversations that we've been talking about is that life is hard, right? Life is hard. And relationships are hard because humans are hard and we ourselves are humans. That means we're part of other people having a hard time too, right? Um, Being a community of broken people is hard. Being in a broken system is hard. All of this is rough. We all struggle with it in different ways. Um, But the good news of the gospel is that God is in the process of making us new. He's in the process of restoration and renewal and making all things new on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see that over the course of time that God is doing that. Um, and, and oftentimes when people think of the gospel, they think, oh, it's going to heaven as opposed to going elsewhere, right? But, but what we learn throughout scripture is that it's so much more than that. It's not just good news for after we die. It's good news for life now, that God is doing something now, that he's making all things new now. And as we get to know him more and, and learn who he is more and put our faith in him more, he is changing us from the inside out. And all of a sudden, this faith that was once just a belief, he's doing something in our hearts and changing us into people who live that out in the world and impact the world because of it. And so the gospel is more than just good news after we die. He's making all things new and it's happening now. And just like when Jesus came, he wasn't the savior that they were expecting, right? If you're familiar at all with the Bible, if you're not, it's fine. But if you're familiar with the Bible, Jesus comes and it's not what the, what the Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting a political leader, a political figure, someone who would come and lead the revolution against the, against the, the Roman Empire. And Jesus was not what they expected. God is, is constantly doing things in a way that, that we can't expect or we can't predict. And so in similarly, the way that God is making all things new is actually not through things like our political system or our judicial system. How many of us have a lot of faith in our political or judicial system? It's feeling a little bit scary these days, right? The way that God is making all things new might not be through the systems and policies that are put in place by human people, but rather by changing the actual hearts of his people. And by the changed hearts of his people... He's changing the communities of his people. And by the changed hearts in the community of his people, he's pouring them out into the world to help change the world. It's happening in a way that maybe we wouldn't pick and maybe we wouldn't expect and maybe we can't control, but he's doing it starting in the hearts of each and every one of us. And so we're being made new and we're being transformed and all of this is a process that's building to spiritual maturity. 
And that's what James talks about. We've talked about this a lot in this series. That's what James is talking about in chapter one when he says, uh, uh, I, what does he say? Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That we say in here, one of our values that Jamie pointed to on our bulletin is that everyone's in process, right? This place is a safe place. We want this place to be a safe place for anyone to come at any part in their journey, whether you're, you don't believe that God is real or you've given your whole life to him, whether you're struggling with addiction or you've been set free from it, all of the range of spectrum, these people are all welcome here. We believe that everyone is in process, but we don't think process is without purpose, that God is leading us somewhere in our process. And so often we can become apathetic and we can stay where, right where we are and say, well, this is just me. This is how I am. No, God is changing us and he's making us new and he longs to make you new. It's a process and that process is leading towards maturity. And so James goes on in, ver- in chapter one, we looked at several weeks ago. He says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, right after saying so that you might be mature, he says, and now if you lack wisdom, ask and I'll give it to you, that God will give it to you generously. Because what we're learning is that as we're growing to maturity, as, as the Holy Spirit is changing us and making us new, we need wisdom to engage with him in that process. We need to know which way to go, what decisions to make, how to live our lives rightly, how to take the faith that's been implanted in our hearts and translate it into action. And so this morning, we're going to look at this, this need for wisdom that, that James first brought up in chapter one, and now we're going to see him unpack it a bit in chapter three. And I want to just lay out a brief outline for you of a fact, a problem that's created, and a solution. The fact is, is that we all need wisdom. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any culture throughout the course of human history that did not value wisdom. The sages, the, the, the philosophers, there's this pursuit towards wisdom. There's something inherent in us as human beings that values wisdom. Whether or not we do what it takes to get wisdom is a different story, right? But there's a value, an inherent value in us that draws us towards wisdom, that we see it as a virtue, it's something to be desired. Wisdom helps us to live rightly before God. It helps us to make right choices for our own lives. It helps us to live rightly with other people. So we, we can probably all agree that we need wisdom as humans. How many of you feel like if I had a secret formula right now and said, I could give you some more wisdom for your life right now, how many of you want to, would want to take that? Amen. All of us would want to take it. Whether or not you're talking about the same kind of wisdom that we're going to talk about this morning, all of us agree that it's a good thing. Here's the problem. Our wisdom detector is off, right? Have you ever made a decision and you thought, like, this is wise, and then you made the decision and then you were like, that was really stupid, right? Or you watch someone else be like, I know exactly what to do. This is wise. And they make the decision and as they're making it, you're like, oh, it's a foolish, foolish decision. We, we can all agree that there's something in us where we question, we question our ability to make wise choices because we, we're aware of the fact that our wisdom detector is off. That there's something in us that is kind of not to be trusted, And this is because the, 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 the dictionary definition of wisdom is an ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good judgments. Use your knowledge and experience to make good judgments. Sounds good. Here's the problem. Knowledge is not enough. How many of you guys know people that know it all? And they're fools. 
How many of you know people who have had a ton of experience and never learned a thing from it? I'm both of those people for the record. How many of you know people who are so passionate and when they speak about something, you're like, I feel like I should believe you because you're so passionate. But when you step away from, from the, all of the craziness of their passion speech, you're like, that's actually really stupid. And so we realize that, that knowledge isn't enough and, and experience isn't enough and just being passionate about something isn't enough. There's something more that wisdom must be tethered to in order for it to be really wisdom. Our compass is broken. If you were dropped into the wilderness with a compass, and I told you, kids, a compass is a thing. It's round, and it's got a little dial in the middle. I'm acting like I know what it is. I actually have never used a compass in my life. But it's a thing that helps you go in the right direction. If someone dropped you off in the wilderness with a compass, one, I bet most of us wouldn't know how to use it to get out. But if I told you it was off by two degrees, most of us would be like, okay, I could probably make it home with a compass off by two degrees. You couldn't. Because you would, just two degrees would get you going in the wrong direction. And so this is what happens as we're trying to make wise choices, as we're trying to exercise wisdom, as we're trying to live out our faith in action, our hearts are off by a few degrees. And so often by following those hearts that are off by a few degrees, we get set off in the exact wrong direction. And so we have this problem that we need wisdom and yet we cannot be trusted to really find it on our own. So what do we do? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowing God is understanding. So most of us agree that we want to be wise, and James is going to give us some insight about how we can distinguish between wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that really isn't wisdom at all. This is where we're going to spend the chunk of our time this morning, and then we're going to look at how we can participate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he desires to lead us to wisdom. And so like I said, we have a problem that we need wisdom or we have a fact that we need wisdom, we have a problem that our hearts cannot be trusted to get us there, and we have a solution, and James leads us to that solution um, that we're going to see towards the end of our time together this morning. So let's jump into our passage, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. If you do not have a Bible for you, don't worry, we've put it on the screen. Um, Let's read it together. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile or sinful practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So James is saying here, he starts out by saying, who is wise and understanding among you? Wise and understanding would, would have been another way of saying, who are your teachers? Who are your leaders? And he's saying, they'll show themselves to be wise by living lives characterized by gentle, uh, gentleness and humility that are birthed out of wisdom. And so what he's saying is, Wisdom leads to humility and gentleness, and gentleness and humility will start leading you towards wisdom. Does that make sense? So he's saying, look, who are your leaders and your teachers? You'll know if they're wise by looking at the way that they live their lives, if their lives are characterized by gentleness and humility and meekness, and that will show that they are wise. So we see immediately that there's a direct connection between wisdom and humility, Direct connection. And not just a humility that's in an end to itself, but a humility that then lives, leads to a life lived out behaviorally. So humility that's in our heart ends up overflowing into the way that we live our, live our lives behaviorally. And this isn't just talking about teachers and leaders. If you think, oh, I'm not a teacher or a leader, I'm off the hook. No, we're all leaders in some capacity. In that all of us have influence over someone else. All of us are in places of influence. You are a manager at your job. You have a team underneath you. You are in a position of leadership. You are a parent and you have little ones that are modeling your behavior for better or for worse. You are in a position of influence. All of us have a sphere of influence in our life where we are impacting people, whether we're aware of it, whether we get paid for it or not. And so James says, for all of us, there are two kinds of wisdom. And he's going to break it down really simply. Two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom from above and there's wisdom from below. We're going to spend the next little portion of our time breaking down what do those two different types of wisdom look like and how do they manifest themselves in our lives. These two different kinds of wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom from, uh, from below, they come out of two different kinds of hearts. They have two different kinds of motivation. They manifest themselves in two different kinds of behavior, and they lead to the cultivation of two different kinds of communities. They have two different kinds of impact on their spheres of influence. So the first one we're going to look at of our two different types of wisdom is the wisdom from below. Um, So we're going to look at identifying false wisdom. Really, we shouldn't use the word wisdom because he's not talking about wisdom. He's talking about wisdom. In your notes, it's in quotes because it's not wisdom. It's false wisdom. It's, it's, it's believing that something is wise that's not wise. That's not wisdom. It's the opposite of it. But because James uses the word wisdom, we're going to stick with it and call it false wisdom. What James is saying is that not all wisdom is wisdom, right? And so someone thinks they're exercising wisdom just because you call it wisdom doesn't make it wisdom, right? There's a wisdom that comes from above and comes from God. And if we agree that there's part of wisdom that comes from knowledge and experience... And we realize, we take a step back, we realize that God is all-knowing and encompasses all experiences. He's been from the dawn of time to the end of time. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. If we believe that wisdom is at least partially birthed out of knowledge and experience, who's got the most knowledge and experience? God does, right? Seems like a pretty good source to find wisdom. And so we know that wisdom, we learn that wisdom comes from God, who has all of the knowledge and all of the experience and all of the understanding, whose motives are pure and life-giving and peace-promoting. And then there's a wisdom from below that James talks about. 
an earthly wisdom that at best is short-sighted and lacking and impure, and at worst is tainted by the enemy, intent on leading us towards disaster and destruction and disunity. Sometimes our, our, our false wisdom is just us getting it wrong, right? It's just because we're human and we're broken and we're not able to, to, to make perfectly wise decisions on our own. Sometimes it's that we have an enemy who's working against us, whose goal is to stir up strife and disunity and discord, and so he's, he's feeding us false wisdom, Right? And we know that the wisdom of the world and the wisdom from God, this earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, this wisdom from above and wisdom from below, oftentimes they're in contradiction to each other. They're in contradiction to each other. And so sometimes the wise decision is the harder decision to make because this world makes it very easy to make bad choices. And so we've got these two different types of wisdom. And what James doesn't do is say, Good wisdom always looks like this, and bad wisdom always looks like this. Here's a list of life circumstances, and yes, this will always be wise, and this will always be unwise. He doesn't do that. What he does do is give us some identifying characteristics of false wisdom so that we can look inwardly and have some introspection and self-examination and really reflect and think, what is going on in my heart? Because if things in my heart are ugly my ability to make wise choices is probably not to be trusted. And so what we learn from James about false wisdom is that what's in your heart will determine what decisions that you make. So if your heart is filled with jealousy and bitterness and selfish ambition, if it's all about you, your ability to make the wise choice that will, the wise choice will always promote relationship with God, relationship with others, right? Loving God and loving others. If what's in your heart is selfish ambition, it will determine what decision that you make. What's in your heart will shape your behavior. We learned this over and over. We just learned this last week. Mike talked about uh, what's in our heart comes out of our mouths, right, with our words, Same is true of our actions and behavior. Same is true of our ability to discern and make decisions. What's in your heart will shape your behavior. And then how you behave will have an impact on your life. Do you feel like that's fair? How we behave has a direct impact on our life. It has an impact on on our lives. It has an impact on our relationship with God. And it has an impact on our relationship with other people. And so James says this. Here's where it leads. It, it comes out of a heart that's full of jealousy and selfish ambition, and it leads to disorder and every vile practice. This is relational chaos. So when we have hearts that are self, selfish, when we have hearts that are filled with bitterness and resentment and all of these ugly things that, that mess up our ability to see truth, it manifests itself in behavior that matches And it has an impact on the communities around us, on our spheres of influence that create relational chaos and sin of every kind. So we can see it starts from somewhere, it manifests itself, and then it has an impact. This is what false wisdom does. 
And so three things, you, your notes are very sparse today because I wasn't ready for the projector people to make the slides until this morning. So three things that we learn about false wisdom is false wisdom comes from pride and self-reliance. I, I want to say this with, with as much love as I can say to all of you and myself, most importantly. I love you guys. We are not as wise as we think we are. No matter, think about the thing that you feel the most sure about in life. You're not as wise as you think you are. You're really not. I think I know so much about so many things, and I am so nowhere near as wise as I think that I am. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. I think we're living in a time where some of us have made really concrete decisions about what we think is right and true, and we are unwavering, and it's leading to relational chaos. Because we lack humility to step back and think, maybe I'm not the God of the universe. Maybe I I don't have the market cornered on wisdom and righteousness. Maybe there's something in my heart, some motivation in my heart, some selfish desire to win and be right in my heart that's bleeding out into my sphere of influence, that's creating relational chaos. False wisdom comes from a heart that is out of alignment. Maybe it's off by a ton of degrees. Maybe it's off by just two degrees, but it's off. And we can't find our right way with a heart that is out of alignment. And then number three, false wisdom is going to keep us from maturity. So like we said in the beginning, that God is in this process of renewal, making us new, We're in process, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, into who we were created to be. And that process is not without purpose. We're being made to be mature, to be men and women who know God and are known by God and have had our hearts so transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit that we're then able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so if, if our hearts are off and if they're filled with all of this yucky stuff that most of us have got in there, it's going to keep us from this process of maturity. It's going to keep us from growing. It's going to keep us from throwing off the old and putting on the new. It's going to keep us from all that God is trying to do in us and through us. And so we know, we've learned that false wisdom, it comes from something going on in our heart And it's birthed and manifested into the way that we behave and interact in the world. And it produces an impact on our sphere of influence that creates relational chaos. And so how do we contrast that? We look at true wisdom. What we learn from the Bible and from really if we step back and we look at the breadth of God's knowledge and experience is that wisdom, true wisdom, can only come from God. Because we all have something tainted in here that's skewing our ability to see clearly. Wisdom is an attribute, an attribute of God that he weaves throughout creation like a thread. And so there are times when we see it. And there are times when people who have not given their lives to Jesus can tap into that. 
I know some people that have made some incredibly wise decisions that don't follow Jesus. It's something that he's woven throughout humanity and creation like kindness and love, but they all root back in him. This wisdom that comes from God allows us to live out our best and most fulfilled lives as our best and most full selves. There are traces of it woven into life. Let's say you have a lot of knowledge and experience um, in, in, in your job. Let's say you're a counselor and you have a lot of knowledge and experience. You can definitely have some wisdom. You can definitely be counseled wisely by a non-believing counselor who has some wisdom in their area of expertise. But true, pure wisdom is wisdom that comes from God and doesn't just fix a temporary problem that we're dealing with in the moment. It undoes the curse of sin and death in us. It births something new in us. It restores something new in us. There are pieces of wisdom that can fix little problems and be helpful throughout the course of our lives. But true wisdom that taps into the gospel purpose of humanity on earth, of God making us new and restoring people and bringing the lost home, that only comes from the wisdom of God. I was hanging out with some friends yesterday, and a friend of mine is a counselor, and she was saying how she, she has to spend time with God before going to work, not just because she's a believer who needs to spend time with God, but because when she's hearing from people, she needs God's wisdom to speak into their lives in a way that won't just be a temporary fix, but that's breathing the breath of life into them. I thought that was so profound. Lots of counselors can do good counseling. But to know that I need wisdom, not just human wisdom, but wisdom from God, because God's doing more in this person's life than what they think is on the surface. So profound. She's in this room. I didn't ask her permission to share that, but I won't point her out. Um, And so we look for true wisdom. So James talks about finding true wisdom. How do we find true wisdom? And we learn that true wisdom comes from God and is found by knowing God and being changed by him. True wisdom comes from God and is found by knowing God and being changed by him. We live in a world of quick fixes, right? So I have a problem. So the first thing I do when I have a problem, I Google it, obviously. I obviously Google it. That's the first thing I do. Obviously, I Google it. I don't know how to do this. I Google it. It's what I do. It's what I do first. But if wisdom comes from God, the place that we find wisdom, primarily, first and foremost, will always be the character and work of God. It will always be the word of God working itself out in us as we wrestle and engage with it. It will always be found, first and foremost, by knowing God and being changed by him. Proverbs chapter 2 um, it. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and there's all sorts of wonderful and complicated and simple and contradictory pieces of information in there. It's a great book if you want to learn and also have to wrestle with your own ability to understand what wisdom is. But in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, the writer says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. 
guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. First Corinthians, Paul says, has this line that is used often in the church. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. There is something about wisdom that transforms us and changes us and enables to, us to live the lives that we were created to live that can only come from knowing and being changed by Jesus. And we better believe that we live in a world that tells us we can find it everywhere else. True wisdom produces humility and behavior that reflects godliness. Like we talked about in the beginning, true wisdom, it it comes out of a heart that's humble. And here's why humility is so important. Because if we think that we know best, we'll act like we know best. Right? But if our hearts have been humbled by looking at the face of Jesus and realizing you are God and I am not, and my tiny few years here on earth and handful of experiences cannot by any means match the all-knowing power of our God, all of a sudden we get real small, right? And our hearts bow down before God and say, oh my gosh, I need you because I can't do this by myself. I can't figure it out by myself. I don't trust myself to know the way forward without your Holy Spirit changing my heart. And so a humble heart is so important for being able to live lives that reflect godly wisdom because a humble heart means we've remembered who we are and who we are not. And it gives the Lord space to enter in and speak to us because we have heart postures that are listening and desperate to be led by him. And then true wisdom is pure and peace-loving. All of these things that, that James says, it's pure and it's peace-loving, which is the opposite of selfish ambition and disorder, right? It's gentle. It's open to reason. I just want to, like, camp here for one second. It's open to reason. Another way that you could translate this phrase is, is it's willing to yield. True wisdom is willing to yield. This is really important. Wisdom isn't a formula. Like I said, James doesn't give us a list and say, here are all the different life circumstances. Here's right, here's wrong, here's right, here's wrong, here's right, here's wrong. It's not what he does. He gives us the ability to look inward, do heart work with God, humble ourselves before him, submit our lives to him, and allow him to, to, to lead us to discernible, wise decisions in all different areas of life. But it is not a formula and it's not a list because wisdom in one situation is not necessarily wisdom in another situation, right? Hear me out on this. Proverbs 26. I love this. Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. This is what it says, okay? You ready? It says, answer not a fool according to his folly. So don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So should you answer a fool or should you not answer a fool? Right? It's not a formula. It's not a formula. It is a relationship 
with God where our hearts are humble and we are coming to him in every moment, desperate for him to lead us because our hearts are wicked and not to be trusted and because life is ever-changing and complex and relationships are hard and people are broken and there's so much more to this than black and white. And so we need hearts that are willing to yield. We need hearts that don't take complex situations and try to provide simple, short-sighted answers. When we think we are so sure that we've had enough knowledge and experience to make ourselves expert on an issue, at that point, we no longer think that we need to humble ourselves before God and consider the possibility that maybe we're getting it wrong. True wisdom is willing to yield, willing to consider the possibility that just maybe God knows something that we don't know. And just maybe things are more complicated than they seem. And just maybe we're not as wise as we think that we are. Tangent over. Back in the list. It's also full of mercy. Wisdom is full of mercy. It longs to be merciful like God longs to be merciful to us. It's full of good fruit. It has good impact on our spheres of influence. It's impartial and sincere. This word sincere, it's the opposite of hypocrisy. Our actions line up with our words, which again, we've been talking about a lot in James, right? Living lives that aren't just saying one thing and doing another, but our actions and our words line up. And so truism will produce an impact of peace and righteousness in your life, in the lives of those that you have spheres of influence with, in relationships, and in your relationship with God. The goal of one committed to wisdom, hear this, the goal of one committed to wisdom is peace. This is, what, this is what James says. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Another way of translating this is by pursuing peace in peaceful ways. The goal of one committed to true wisdom is peace. When our hearts are as they usually are and they're full of yuck and our, our, our hearts are not to be trusted, we end up acting and reacting in ways that harm ourselves, that disrupt our communion with God, that, that harm the, those around us and creates relational chaos. But when our hearts are humble, when our posture before the God of the universe is you are God and I am not, and I need your wisdom. What comes out of that is pure, and it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it has no problem yielding when it needs to yield because I don't have it figured out, and my identity isn't wrapped up in my opinion, right? And it produces environments around us that even when we don't agree can have peace. And so we want to apply God's wisdom. This is our last chunk. This is, this is our solution that we, that we learned from James. We want to apply God's wisdom. Uh, uh, a theologian and one of the authors uh, I read while I was studying for this passage, um, a man named Scott McKnight, he kind of sums up this, this um, section with this quote. I think it just sums it up so well. I probably way overcomplicated it, and I should have just said this. He says, the wise person lives in God's world, in God's way, with God's people, 
and so enjoys the blessing of the only wise God. I love this because it grabs it all. Humility and knowing that this is God's world. God is God and I am not. In behavior that lines up with God's way. God is God and I am not. He says do this, I'm doing it. He says stay away from this, I'm staying away from it. With God's people. Remembering that those we interact with and have influence over are people made in the image of God. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to be reflecting him to those around us, to take care of each other well, to disagree well, to love one another well, to live in peace with one another even when we don't agree. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I want to give you guys a couple of things that you can think about as we lead into a time of worship. We, we end our services with longer worship. Um, instead of having a, a lot of songs at the front, we do it at the end and we do it intentionally. Because when the word of God is spoken over us, the spirit of God begins to move inside of us. And our lives are so busy that it's so easy to hear from the Lord, to hear something out of his word... And to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, and go on to our day. And once you leave this building, the rest of your life is out there, right? So we want to get, leave space at the end of our service to reflect, to listen to what God has said to us, to apply some of this. Before we go and do, we want to just sit and be people who are desperate for the spirit of the living God to work in our hearts and change us. And so I want to give you a couple ways that you can kind of engage with what God might have started doing in your heart this morning as we worship. The first one is, and if you, if you are a part of Christian culture, you know this one well, it's overused, but I'm going to say it anyways. The first one is check your heart. Check your heart. And what I mean by that is, is what's in your heart a posture of humility or a posture of pride? If you're, if you're praying or you're not praying and you need wisdom in certain areas of life, what is the posture of your heart saying? Because if, if it's pride and it's arrogance or it's bitterness or it's jealousy or if it's selfish motives, it's going to be really hard to make wise choices. And so maybe we need to humble our hearts this morning and let God be God and remind ourselves that we are not. The second one is to check your motivation. Is what I'm trying to find wisdom for to live out, is it motivated for the kingdom? Is it others focused that I just want to love people well and serve people well and be a catalyst for love and peace in my communities and in my spheres of influence? Or is it motivated out of self-ambition, self-preservation? Is it selfish or is it kingdom focused or others focused? And then the third one is check your goal. What is your goal? As you're praying for wisdom for something, is your goal to get what you want? Or is your goal peace? Is your goal that your heart would be changed? Is your goal that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven? Whether it gets you what you want, what you think you want or not. And so we're going to move into a time of worship. And as we said, wisdom is gained by drawing near to God and having our hearts changed by him, right? And so if God gives us wisdom, sin keeps us from wisdom. 
If the closer we get to God, the more our eyes are fixed on him, the more, the, the, the more available wisdom is to us, then sin gets in the way of that, right? And so for some of us, we need to deal with some sin this morning. We need to deal with, man, there's some stuff going on in my heart that just is really ugly. It's not too ugly for God. He wants to get in there. He wants to change it. He wants to soften it. He wants to break it down. He wants to transform your heart. We're going to give him space to do that this morning by just acknowledging that that's where we are. And so at the end, after we've talked about all of this, we always land at the end of every sermon, no matter what you're teaching on, right? We land feeling like I either need to start changing myself or if we're wise, we realize I need to submit myself for God to change me. And so if you're sitting here and you're feeling like, man, I've been getting it so wrong. I need to work harder and I need to fix myself. That's not what you should leave here with this morning. What you should leave with is a time right now as we lead into worship where you humble yourself before the Lord and tell him that you are desperate for him to change your heart and desperate for him to give you wisdom because life is hard and it can feel long and we need someone's heart other than our own to guide our decisions. We need someone's eyes other than our own to be able to see broken people as people that God is trying to redeem and to see ourselves as not far past his ability to redeem. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.